Have you ever wondered what you have in common with perfect strangers you see on the street or on your screen? Have you ever asked yourself where you belong? In this podcast, you will hear the voices of people who by choice or obligation have moved to a new place. Expats, migrants, refugees, we all learn from our journey. I never expected to have such a culture shock when I moved here and uh, for many years the Americans were just a mystery to me. It teaches us about our own values and cultural bias. But most importantly, it helps us discover what makes us all deeply human. You know, you meet all these people from all these different cultures and there's certain things that's the same everywhere. My nature is to find common ground uh, with anyone. I always can. My name is Valerie. Welcome, Perfect Stranger. Today, you will hear Ken's story. Uh, one of my professors asked me if I would like to move to Asia, and I thought that was completely ridiculous <laughs> uh, because I didn't want to go to California. Why would I want to go to Asia? And every time I would meet a Westerner who said, I understand these people, or, I really understand Chinese, or, I really understand Indonesian, or, or whatever it is, uh, I was always skeptical about that. It's like... No matter who you are, you're, you're always learning. But nobody truly understands uh, unless you grew up in their culture. When I moved to North Carolina, what was interesting is a reverse culture shock. What I hope the young people learn is there are no shortcuts. You don't just wake up and like, this is the way the world is. You have to sort of experience it a little bit. Today, you will hear Ken's story. Ken had absolutely no desire to leave North Carolina, but life is full of surprise. And he ended up living many years in Asia in different countries before coming back to the US and then moving again to France. Hey, are you ready to listen to him? Thank you to be here with me, Ken. It's nice being here. If you want to tell me briefly where you were born or it was where you grew up, well, I was born in Tennessee, but that's not really, really where I feel like I grew up. I feel like North Carolina is my home. And we stayed in Tennessee until 64 when we moved up north to Indiana and then came back to the south when I was 13 years old. I don't remember a lot of my friends because my first eight years of school, I went to a different school every year. I didn't make close friends a lot during those days, although some of those friends I still am in contact with today only because of social media. You know, to me, it was I sort of got used to every year is a different place, so don't get too close. Yes. Because <laughs> next year will be a whole set of another friend. Every place is a little bit different, but it, it was always easy to make friends. But I never made real close friends mm -hmm. because it was so short. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it takes a long... I, I don't know what the rule of thumb is for making close friends, but it's more than one year, I guess. father was a, uh, an accountant, 
he, he traveled a lot also. It wasn't until I was 13 we moved to North Carolina, and, and my parents never moved from there again. So then it became a permanent place. Yeah. So that's why it became a place that I consider home. Yeah, then, then I developed some friends, that, uh, close friends that are very close to me today. And then you went to college there in North Carolina. And after college, you began to work there. Well, after college, I, went to, I stayed in North Carolina for a year. But uh, a year into, after I'd been working, I, I was being recruited to move to Mississippi. And another company was recruiting me to go to California. But uh, one of my professors was, he was originally from Finland, and he was a consultant to a company that was based in Asia. And he asked me if I would like to move to Asia. And I thought that was completely ridiculous <laughs> uh, because I didn't want to go to California. Why would I want to go to Asia? And, and I wouldn't. <laughs> but, but then thinking over it, I, I had never thought about it, uh, the possibility of living anywhere other than North Carolina over Uh, I thought, why not? I didn't have anything to lose because I didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you didn't know anybody from Asia? Did you know something about Asia? About Absolutely nothing. nothing. Uh, I, he asked me if I would be interested in moving to Singapore. And I had no idea where Singapore was. And it was a Labor Day weekend of 1980. After I talked to him, I was at my parents for that weekend. I looked up in a 1964 encyclopedia, uh, which had absolutely nothing to do. It wasn't even current then, let alone now. But, <laughs> but uh, I looked up Singapore. I said, well, that looks pretty interesting. So the next week, I, I contacted my former professor. I said, you know, I'm sort of curious about this. And that led to an interview a few week, couple of weeks later with the company. And they offered me a job, and the day after Christmas in 1980, I got an airport, on an airplane and, moved, and flew to Singapore. And between the airport in Singapore and the hotel, they said, you're going to be living in Taiwan. And I was like, okay. well, where, where's that? <laughs> I had no idea where Taiwan was. I didn't look that up in the encyclopedia. I'm really impressed they sent somebody as young as you with no experience. I was 23 years old. You know, with Asia, and they just bombarded you there. In this particular case, they had a number of expats that were much older and more experienced mm -hmm. and higher paid. Yes. And But they were a manufacturing company, and they were looking for young people that could actually work on a day-to-day -day basis in those factories. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but my they had asked my professor if they would recommend someone. Mm -hmm. He recommended me. So uh, what do you remember of arriving there? You had no idea... <laughs> you know, what were your first impressions? At first, it was the first time I'd ever stayed in a five-star hotel. <laughs> and I was like, this is really neat. <laughs> so, it's got a little bar. And then I was, why, I'd never seen one of those before. Uh, anyway, but Singapore was a very modern city even then. Mm -hmm. And um, it was what I would call Asia light. It wasn't very difficult. And then from there we flew, we actually went to uh, Penang, Malaysia. We stayed at the beach, which was really nice. And, but we had sawmills there. We were making doors and stuff, so I was going there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really cool. We ended up in Taipei, Taiwan. I'm going, well, this is really nice, but a little bit different. 
But that's not where I, not where I was living. I was living in, in the south of Taiwan, a place called Kaohsiung. And when I landed there, I'm going, oh my God, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> it was completely different. Less advanced, obviously, mm-hmm. in Singapore yeah. and places like that. And I guess not many people spoke English at that time. Uh, almost no one. But it was okay. It didn't matter to me. I mean, I actually, I, 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 the first six months was difficult. And second six months was okay. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I loved it. So okay. the first six months, there were another time when you thought, what am I doing oh, here? Yeah, about every day. <laughs> <laughs> you wake up and go, why am I here? Oh, that's right. I'm making more money than I would have made if I was in the States. And, you know, I'm saving so many dollars a day. But at the end... So I need to stay here a little bit longer because if I leave, I got to be able to buy a car when I go back. <laughs> <laughs> so then you feel like it was what the difficulty was loneliness or the fact that you be not be able to speak with people or. Well, I think a lot of it was loneliness and, and just different. Uh, yeah. I never grew up thinking, Oh yeah, I'm going to travel the world. I wasn't yeah. one of those. Yeah, it was really a pure coincidence that made you pure coincidence. go abroad. Yep. You were not looking for it. Yep. So uh-huh. then you said that after you left it, so because you, you met people or you were well the, understanding the, more the culture, everything? And when I first moved there, I was living in a company-owned apartment. And I was in an area that there weren't any exposure to anyone from the West. Everybody was Asian. There was no one in the building that spoke English, from the guard to okay. no one. So that was a little bit uh, culture shock. <laughs> so you develop a lot of skills to, to speak you with your hands? Or? No, I learned, I learned enough Chinese to be able to talk, at least, at least get, around, get around taxis and go to the shops and buy stuff and things like that. But you know, mentally, it was so foreign It was difficult. So eventually I moved out of the city into an area that there were more expats. Mm -hmm. It was a mix. It wasn't all American, but they were from everywhere. And I really liked that. So then you had this mix of Taiwanese, uh, so Asian, Chinese, and and West. That part I I, I really, really liked. And I made really good friends. So how many years did you live I was in Taiwan three years, and then I moved to Singapore. I didn't eventually make it to Singapore. It just took three years longer than I thought. And I lived in Singapore about a year. And was it very different from Taiwan? Yeah, I loved Taiwan more than Singapore. Taiwan was less developed, Mm -hmm. but uh, it was more fun. You'd go to the beaches, and there'd be no one. And we would stay in hostels and things like that. There weren't any five-star hotels. There weren't any five-star anything. And it was great. So I moved to Singapore, and, and, and that would be, that was 1984. And they had lots of rules, like chewing chewing gum was illegal. So even though it was completely modern, I, I didn't like it. I mean, I, I like Singaporeans, I like Singapore, but I didn't like living there. To me, it was like, Taiwan was a lot more fun, there were no rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no rules for a 24-year-old kid, or 20, by that time, 25, 26-year-old mm-hmm. kid, was what you wanted. And then from, how long did you stay in Singapore? Just about a year, or less than a year, and then I moved back to the States. 
I was in North Carolina until 88. When I moved to North Carolina, what was interesting is a reverse culture shock. I moved there. I just spent three years in Taiwan and a year in Singapore. I come back to North Carolina and everybody was into sports and TV, certain TV shows. And I wasn't into any of that because in, Ta- in Taiwan, especially, we had four television stations, all of it in Chinese. We had two hours of English movies on Sundays. So I didn't watch any TV. The sports I enjoy, but I wasn't hooked on it. And I was completely bored. Absolutely bored out of my mind because the pace was nowhere near the pace of Asia. I didn't dislike it. Mm. I just was bored. Yeah, it, that was the only time coming coming back to the States that I really, to me, was just boring. So I went back to Asia in 88. I went to Indonesia. Indonesia in 1988 uh, was not easy. It was much more difficult than living in Taiwan or Singapore, certainly Singapore because of the infrastructure was so poor. I mean, you, you couldn't make a phone call from the office to my house. I mean, it just didn't work. If you want to make a phone call to the United States, it would... You'd book the call, and they may call you back in an hour, or they may call you back at mm-hmm. 2 in the morning, mm-hmm. wake you up, say, oh, yeah, I've got the call. <laughs> and so, so that was, that, I wasn't used to that part of it, but uh, I like Indonesia, I like the Indonesians. And for various reasons, I only stayed about a half a year, and I went back to Taiwan. <laughs> but it was, you know, one more language that I had, didn't understand, didn't know, and never studied. You know, I was like an innocent American, but uh, <laughs> uh, wonderful people. And I still go there today. So, all in all, in Asia, usually you were well-received being an American. They were like... Yeah, sure. They, had yeah. Pa- pa- they were patient with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They felt sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> Always felt welcome everywhere in Asia. Never, I never had a, um, never had a time where I didn't feel welcome. Maybe that's not with everybody. America is not loved everywhere by everybody, Mm -hmm. but uh, Americans are usually, for the most part, welcome, and uh, people are interested. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So, so then you went to Taiwan again. Went back to Taiwan. That was a, a late eighty-eight. I stayed into two thousand. 2006, 2007. Oh, that was a, you stayed a long time. I stayed a long time, yeah. 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 And, and that time I went back, uh, I worked for a couple of companies, and then I formed my own company, with a, well, went into business with another guy. And, and that, that part of it was interesting, too. And we were not just Taiwanese or a company. We were, we were working all over Asia. So mm-hmm. then I started traveling all over Asia. Yeah. I guess in the end of 96, I moved to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And lived in Malaysia for two years, but then after that, I lived in China. For a year. <laughs> so you've tried all the exotic yeah. countries. I moved back to the states in '99. Uh, Why did you move back? Why? Uh, <clears throat> formed a new company, and uh, my biggest customer was the largest uh, furniture company in the United States. And so I felt like some one of I have a partner in that business, and one of us needed to be here in the U.S. So I moved to North Carolina in '99. So you were ready to come back. Yeah, and I enjoyed it because in uh, my girlfriend at the time, who was French, uh, she came and we got married a year later. 
and we started a family and I didn't go to the same cultural shock that I did in, in, in 84. Mainly because I think family and I was more mature, older, traveled a lot. I was more successful business-wise. And, and in 2004, my business, it was fairly stable here in the U.S. So we decided that the best place that I needed to be was back in Asia where we were growing and uh, moved the family there. The other reason was I was traveling three weeks at a time. Yeah, and you were and, far away from the United States yeah, to go there. I had so. a one-year-old and a three-year-old, yeah. and I, we decided that we'd be, I'd be with the family more if every if the family was in, with me in Asia than with the family be in the U.S. So mm -hmm. in 2004, we all moved to Hong Kong. Hong Kong, we put our kids in the French school system. Since my wife is French, I was traveling all over, but we were together a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was home almost every weekend, so which was different. Yeah. So we stayed in Hong Kong from 2004 to 2008. Then we moved to Vietnam. We were in Vietnam two years. So and by that time, it was not that much a problem, the language, I guess. Uh, the, no, because, well, you know, what happens is when you start doing business at a certain level, then, all the owners speak English. Mm -hmm. Yeah which is spoiling for me because my, my Chinese was the best when I lived in Taiwan in the early 80s. And when I went from being in a, working in a factory to owning a company, the people I was working with in the local market all mm -hmm. spoke English. Yeah. Yeah. So actually my Chinese got worse <laughs> uh, when I went back. Was it difficult for you? You know, to understand how it works there and how you do business with the people, you know. Or do well, you every, speak or do you, you know, every country negotiate is, or do you... Every country is different, uh, but you, you realize really quickly, even if I could speak Chinese, I can never out-negotiate them in Chinese. If you speak English, you at least get them on your, in, your, in your language, and even if you can't out-negotiate them, you can at least sort of keep up with them. <laughs> I would never try to negotiate with someone in their language. I'd rather negotiate in my language. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's sort of an odd concept. I mean, certainly being able to speak the language is important, the local language and that kind of stuff. But uh, if you're in business, it's not necessarily what you want to do. So it was different if you were speaking with Vietnamese or with Taiwanese or with They're all different. Everybody, every country is different. What's important to them are different. I, I can't say one's easier than the mm -hmm. other. So did you learn by doing mistakes or did you have advice from sure. older guys? Everything or? I do today is because I made a mistake <laughs> at some point in my life. Because I, I can imagine those you know, send business guys in Asia but they have a book on how to do things and, you know, from the handshake to the uh, yeah, I never read <laughs> I never read the... any, I never read any of the books. You learn it you, you learn what not to do. And every time I would meet a Westerner who said, I understand these people, like, I really understand Chinese, or I really understand Indonesian, or, or whatever it is, uh, I was always skeptical about that. It's like, no matter who you are, you're, you're always learning. But nobody truly understands uh, unless you grew up in their culture. Mm. So you need to respect mm -hmm. what you understand and respect their culture 
Sometimes it's better to say, I don't fully understand. I don't understand the culture 100%, but I do understand what, what's important to them. Mm-hmm. That's the angle. That, that's the way I approach business with them. I don't try to outthink people. Mm-hmm. I just try to think what's important to that to that person or that culture and and sure. and, and, and yeah. how we can make this work or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And so was it much more difficult for you or not to, to build trust? You know, like if you're doing business for an Ameri- with an American or with a person from Asia, is it very different? It, it's different. You can't take anything for granted on either culture can't assume just because they're American they think like you and that would that's a huge mistake you know and I've made that mistake before you got to really understand the person you got to also you got to be careful not to go the other way it's like oh yeah they really like me and they you know anything I say they're gonna you know that kind of stuff you got to you got to also look at how they look at me and I'm not really one of them so Mm -hmm. to speak You can have very close friends, the lifelong friends, but not always in business. You got to you got to understand how they're looking at you. Are they being nice to you because of the business? Or are they being nice to you because they really like you? You um, you get better at that. With you get experience. a lot better at it. it. Takes a long time. It takes a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And then from Vietnam, you came back to United States. Yes, we came back to the U.S. because of our kids more than anything else. My business was very international to begin, mm-hmm. especially then, so I could literally live anywhere. Our kids were in the French school system in Vietnam, but it was a little bit shaky. Uh, I, I didn't think that the school was unreal, sound, financial. Uh, you know, we had a couple of the teachers that had quit mid-year, that kind of thing, and we decided that the best thing was maybe to move to the U.S., Put them in a system here in the French school system, but in where it was a reliable. So that's we moved here in uh, 2010. So then you mi- didn't miss Asia too much because you're always traveling back. I was gone. I was gone a lot. You uh-huh. know, went back to the old program where I was gone three weeks of, at a time, basically, mm-hmm. anywhere from two to three weeks. So you could go back live there. I met a lot of expats. Americans and Brits and so forth that uh, that came to Asia and that was it. It's like this is my home and they'll never go back. I never felt like that, mm-hmm. and I never felt like that Asia was where I was going to live forever. I always, to me, it was always a place to work, mm-hmm. a place to enjoy and travel and all that kind of stuff. But it was never home. And why do you think? I don't. I think I'm just different. And now you moved again. I moved to France. <laughs> so that's a, that was another culture shock? Or by now you are such a... How do you say English? Well-traveled? <laughs> well, <laughs> being an American, any American in France is going to say there, there's a little bit of cultural shock. But, it, it's, uh, but it's so easy. I mean, it, it's easy cultural shock. You know, it's not like you get there and go, oh, my God, I can't live here. And I saw I saw people come to Asia, get off the airplane going, oh, my God, get me on the next plane. I'm out of here. It's not like that. Uh, I like I like France, but I'm not French. I no. never will be French. And your French is poorer than your Chinese. If that's possible, yes. <laughs>
<laughs> but you, Even though my, my daughter put uh, Duolingo on my phone. So in theory, I'm supposed to be doing five minutes a day of French. In reality, it doesn't really happen that way. In reality, way. too many people speak English. That's French. true. And it, it, I moved to Marseille and everybody said nobody speaks English in Marseille. But I can tell you, a lot of people do. <laughs> and my office is very near the old port and there's a lot of tourism there. And uh, everybody I talk to speaks in English. And they're happy to. <laughs> so, that doesn't help. <laughs> that doesn't help me, but it, but I'm doing it for them. Yeah, they, they, they seem to be very appreciative to have an American to talk to. <laughs> I thought being American in France would be difficult, but the reality is, even in a place like Marseille, which is a little bit edgy, it's not, it's not Paris. Uh, what I've found is there's a lot of Marseillese, that are super nice. And I've never ran into anti-Americanism just because I'm an American. They accept you uh, man, because they're just nice people. If you act like you enjoy it and you like Marseille, they're interested in why. They're, they're very curious of why an American guy would like living in, in Marseille. Yeah. So but can you imagine yourself living there nah, for the rest know. of the life? Or? I never think about that, but I, I, I can imagine always having roots or having, um, having some roots there and having mm. a place there, yeah. but I always probably travel and I still, I'm an American no matter what. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't fix that. But is it that? <laughs> if it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> you, when you come back to United States, it's like, it's so easy because... You know everything. You don't need to pay attention to nothing about what you're doing, what you're saying, because it's so natural for you to be here. So it's no effort. Well, so it's like it's a nice. Well, place. there's some truth to that. I mean, obviously, you get here and everything is easy. I mean, you understand everything you think. But because I've lived in so many places, uh, even even in France, even though there's a language barrier, I, I, it's pretty easy to get around. You have to figure out a few things. You have to figure out the bus system and the, you know, the metro. And it, it's not difficult. It's, it's organized. They have great public transportation. Where we have lousy tr public transportation here in the U.S. You just sort of trade it. Uh, we have a car, and a, uh, but it hardly ever comes out of the garage. Yeah, yeah, becoming very European. I'm becoming very European, but <laughs> but I'll never be, you know, I'll never feel like I'm European mm. because I'm not. I love both places. So, so yeah. I think eventually it'll be one foot in the U.S., one foot in France, and and then I'll still probably travel. So to be the citizen of the world, as we say. <laughs> I don't know who, I don't know what a citizen of the world is, but I guess I've become something of one. And, you know, I've got a lot more places I haven't been that I want to go. Yeah. So are you not, not tired of traveling yet? No, I'll always travel. I, I get tired of being in one place. It's a virus. <laughs> Maybe. You are not meant to move from North Carolina and now you can stay in one place. That's true. I have a question that I ask that seem, maybe it's going to seem strange to you, but if I, I said to you, that now you should invite people to dinner mm -hmm. and you have to choose people that for you are perfect stranger. You have no idea what this thing, who they are, but you are curious. 
the problem today is that no, more and more people only want to talk to people who only think like they do. That's a, to me, it's just inconceivable because the only way you're going to learn is to talk to people who have different views than what you have. And that's the shame of, to me, of what's occurred in, in, in the U.S. And it's starting to occur, I think, in other places, mm-hmm. is that if you don't think like me, then you're obviously an idiot or stupid or something. And that's not the case. I mean, the people on both sides, you need to listen to and have a conversation with because only in I- discussing ideas, even even if you disagree, is the only way you're ever going to advance. And, and I have friends that are very close to me and colleagues that are very close to me that get 100% of their information from single sources mm-hmm. or, or very narrow sources. If you look at like the news apps I have on my phone or whatever it is, You'll think, oh my God, there's there's Fox on there, mm-hmm. and there's and there's CNN on there, which are diametrically different. To me, I, I listen to every site. Now, if I want news, then I go listen to the BBC because <laughs> they're the only guys sort of in the middle <laughs> and don't seem to have a reason to to lean one way or the other. But it, I think it's a shame that some people, a lot of people. They only listen to the information that agrees already with their thinking. I have another question. The question is, what gives you hope in a general way? I think at the end of the day, everybody, because you know, you meet all these people from all these different cultures, and there's certain things that's the same everywhere. Family, children, education. Everybody wants the next generation to be more successful or better than the current generation. What gives me hope is that eventually everybody will realize that, that they need to understand the differences between our cultures and difference between opinions and the differences from a political standpoint and people's views and listen as opposed to today where it seems to be just so separate. People only want to hear what they, other people say that agree with them. So I think hopefully the younger people will bridge that gap. And so on the contrary, what would give you fear? That it doesn't change. Especially as an American, you look and you go, you know, is it going to be divided all the time? Is that all, is that, is that all it's about? When you look back and growing up in the 60s and 70s, there was always a division. There's always different opinions, but everybody seemed to come together mm-hmm. and, and agree on what was best for everybody. And now it seems to be what has the highest rating, what pays the most money, mm-hmm. what brings in the most advertising. You know, when I grew up, I always thought of the news channels. Of course, we only had, you know, four, maybe four channels on the TV. Uh, you had three major networks. And you always thought, you always had a trust in them. Now it seems like a business. And uh, you, you got anchors and you got news people who are making millions and millions of dollars a year and you got networks that have to pay for those people and they advertise to people who probably have agreed with them that's what keeps their wheels turning and it becomes instead of a a program about news it becomes a self-serving this is what you want to hear and we're going to give you lots of it and hopefully you're going to you're going to see a lot of advertising and we're going to have millions of dollars and we're going to be able to pay these people it's, it's became a business yeah. 
and it's entertainment, and it's not news anymore. So, Ken? Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Because you know, now, really, you know, people like you have traveled a lot and uh, seen a lot of things. Yeah, some, you know, you have acquired some wisdom. This time, you know, yeah. experience. It took the... a while. <laughs> you but weren't born with it, right? That, exactly. If you, it takes you, time. It so takes, it's no shortcuts. It, it takes time. And that's what I hope the young people learn is there are no shortcuts. Yeah. You, you don't just wake up and like, this is the way the world is. You have to sort of experience it a little bit. I wish you many more cultural experiences, Ken. Mm.